This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, it seems like everything we buy is designed to fail. But is that about to change? The inability to fix it. Global News New Reality reporter Krista Hesse helps us understand her investigation into the fight for our right to repair our stuff. And could a WestJet strike actually be good for passengers? Travel expert Claire Newell tells us what we could expect to see happen if WestJet pilots go on a strike, swoop pilots as well, and how it all works if they do, but also what it might look like if they don't. It's all here on the Shift Daily Podcast. So take a wild guess. Who is shopping for airfare the day after the WestJet pilots uh, give notice that they could go on strike? This guy. Claire Newell is here, travelbestbets.com. Go to the website, get the travel deals, learn about places to go. Claire, what's oh. happening? Oh, <laughs> oh, no. Shane, I feel for you. This is a really uncertain time for passengers, obviously for the airline themselves, for the pilots. Really kind of the last kind of goal to try and settle this. They're each kind of staking their claim. So this is not um, new. The, these parties, WestJet pilots and the airline, have actually been negotiating since, uh, negotiating since fall of 2022. And uh, now we're at a point where each party has given notice. So the pilots union last night gave 72-hour strike notice, which means that they can legally strike as of 2 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Friday, which is like 11 a 11 p.m. Toronto time, and the the airline about 45 minutes later said, "Well, they're going to issue lockout notice as well." So they're both trying to negotiate. And and if I've learned anything, Shane, over the over the past little while of being in this industry, I guess 30 years, not little while, um, I've seen airlines around the world kind of come to some sort of resolution, like an agreeable deal that they could both live with at the 11th hour. So there is a chance that that might happen. But for a lot of people, that chance isn't enough. And so what the airline has done is preemptively put out some pretty clear guidelines about people who have imminent travel plans. And it's a pretty short window. So I don't know if your flight falls within this window, but it is... May 16th through until the 21st at the moment. Now, my gut tells me um, from past experience that tomorrow flights that are up to and including May 22nd and then the next day, the 23rd, um, you'll be able to do this should that need be. But what they don't want is to cancel all of these these flights and then, you know, not actually get into a strike position. So um, for those people who do have imminent flights and you are within the window and you can keep looking if, if your window is pretty close, like if it's the 22nd or 23rd or 24th, you know, keep going back and seeing what that uh, on the airline's website, um, what that window is going to be. But there are a few options. The first is you can just leave it alone and just wait and see. That is um, if, you know, if, if you're just going to see family and it, you're pretty flexible, that might work. The, and just leave kind of well enough alone and see what happens. The second is to change your dates. They're allowing you to change like a one-time change free of charge. So you could maybe go a couple of weeks later or a couple of months later when it also suits your schedule. And the third option is you can actually cancel and get a full refund. Now I'm seeing people do all three, to be honest, um, where it comes into play 
where I would recommend people really consider canceling and getting a refund is that if you're leaving soon and you're you know, going to Europe or they're flying to Asia now and you've got something expensive at the other end, like a tour or a cruise booked, or you've got to get to a wedding or you've got a super important business meeting, you'd be one of those people who may want to cancel, get a refund, and then book yourself on another airline. There's another way. We've got you know a couple of uh, clients that are looking at booking fully refundable fares, which are mm-hmm. the most expensive. Shane, like they're really really expensive. Oh yeah, they on are. A, Tell yeah, like on it. a yeah on a different airline, um, but they can be canceled if there is no strike that happens. So they're hedging their bets. Um, the, I have. I have heard that there are some airlines. I know that Flair Airlines came to the table saying that they're, you know, they're putting on extra capacity on certain routes. You have to look at what your flight is and your situation and take a look at what the other options are. Now, there are some routes where maybe there's a a WestJet nonstop and you're not going to be able to get a nonstop because the alternatives, they they all have a stop. Some have two, maybe. Um, the other thing is, is that because it's such a, a close in window, the airlines, you know, they, within seven days of travel, it's the most expensive time to book. Now there might be some last minute deals available, but those will be few and far between domestically. You'll probably have a lot more choice because of the, the likes of Flair and Canada Jetlines and Porter and, um, links that are, that are all doing it. Um, but this is not ideal timing because if this actually happens, it's the Friday before the long weekend. Like what the heck? But, but you know what? I was thinking maybe that works in our favor here, Claire, because the reality is, is that what the pilots union has done by doing this on Friday morning before the long weekend is put pressure on WestJet for one of the most lucrative weekends of the year. So maybe this works in our favor in the big picture of things because the incentive to get it done, if they just did it in the middle of beginning of March, and they're like, meh, we'll go on strike now. There's way less incentive to get a solution. Before the summer travel season, boy, oh, boy, it's hurry hard to get this done. Yeah, I mean, this costs everybody, especially the airlines. Can you imagine what – I mean, Oof. it would – and it's also going to cause pandemonium. This is the second largest airline in Canada. So I really hope that they are, like, all tied to a negotiating table. They've got a really great mediator and that they're really working hard. Um, I, I do think that this is the last resort – um, they're, they're far apart on, on all sorts of, of things, um, but it, it really will just cause an absolute mess. I have had a lot of people asking me about travel insurance, if they purchased travel insurance. I just want to quickly touch on that. Um, if people purchased uh, insurance with certain care, uh, certain companies, not all companies, you'll have to really, really read the fine print. But the date to look for, if it was bought before April the 17th, that was when the strike was announced. So after that, there would be no, I mean, the, the potential of a strike was announced April 17th, null and void if you bought it afterward. But right. if you've got like a package type insurance, so all inclusive or um, uh, like an all inclusive that includes trip cancellation and interruption, that's really the keywords you're looking for, you may have some coverage. However, keep in mind, the airline is allowing you to cancel for a refund if you're within that window. So, um, just something to just to look at. I did do a kind of a deep dive into the credit card policies. And, like I didn't find any that would offer any coverage for people who would be affected. So 
Um, unless someone comes and says, I've got this unbelievable one. I, you know, I looked at the majors and there's just nothing that's, that's looking good that way. So, um, well, I have a I, different kind of crossroads for mine is that I have some, um, refund dollars in my travel credit. Yeah. Not points, but dollars. And they're going to expire as they always do right a year later or whatever. And, um, right. And so I will be booking for travel for a couple of weeks from now. But if the strike does continue, my question is, because technically, as long as you book before the deadline, you get to use them. But is this just going to overcomplicate my phone calls to say, yes, I pre-booked these. Strike things happened. I need to rebook my tickets. Um, can I have access to the rest of my dollars because I yeah. didn't extend them or whatever, right? Like this really gets complicated. Yeah, it really does get complicated. That wouldn't be one that that wouldn't be a fun conversation to have to deal yeah. with customer service, especially because so many people there are new in their call centers, which makes it even yeah. tougher to deal with. Um, I would hope that this strike is averted. I mean, my fingers and toes are crossed. There's no airline in the world that wants to go on strike. Even some of the large players that I've seen over the years, like Lufthansa, Air France, British Airways, I've never seen them go longer than two, three, four days. And even then, it is absolute domino effect pandemonium. I mean, yeah. that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. So let's just hope that, you know, maybe they're, they're, that we get an 11th hour deal and all of this is averted. But in the meantime, it is just a nightmare and a, such a worry for so many people who have tickets booked. Yeah. It is a worry. There's no denying that. Um, uh, fascinating, though. I have a question for you. Maybe this steps outside the boundaries of all things that you do as a travel agent booking person. So if I'm a WestJet pilot and I've flown to Tokyo, strike action happens. I'm assuming I don't just stay in Tokyo and park my plane. I'm assuming the deal's got to be all planes that are outside the country come home no matter what. That's my my gut, but you know, I just, I have no idea what WestJet has in mind for this. And I, I always worry about the the people who also are in destination. I've had a lot of questions about that too. Like yeah. what's going to happen? And on their website, they have, so Shane, one of the things that's been interesting in this, I've been in the industry such a long time. Um, the, the airline is so organized for this on their website for the travel agent side and for the client side, mm -hmm. there are all the options totally laid out, super clear. They are, they knew this was coming. They had time to plan and they're making it as simple as possible for us, which it's a difficult situation all around. You don't want to give your clients the, the very best advice on what to do. And it's, you know, it has to be their decision, but this didn't come, you know, out of left field. This is, they're organized. They are wow. really organized. And they actually said that if people are in destination, they will make sure that they pay for the extended stay if necessary, and they will look at options to bring them home. So wow. they, they, they're on it. They're working to keep you as a customer is what they're doing. Well, yeah, but really it's a, you know, people are going to think twice if they actually do strike. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it makes me, so I love WestJet. I do. So do I. I love um, them. I love the people. I love the airline. And so, you know, I've flown Air Canada and Air Canada has improved so much. It was great. It was a yeah. great experience. I love Porter, what Porter's up to. Hands down, I've never flown Lynx or uh, Canada Jetlines or those yet. But, um, you know, I love the notions of Porter and their elevated pre their elevated economy notion. I think that's a great idea. I can't wait to fly Porter. Yeah, but I love too. WestJet. So if I get the chance to support WestJet, I mean, I'm happy to do it. So... It's going to take a lot to, to burn. I might try other things, but it's going to take a lot for me to burn my WestJet bridge.
Oh, me too. Me too. Right. I absolutely love them. And I really do hope because of that, that they settle this. And um, there's just, you know, that there's a, an agreement that they can both live with and get kind of yeah. for the next 10 years so yeah. that we don't have to do this again. And the, the thing that's scary about this is that this just sets precedent for all of the airlines in Canada. And so you worry, I mean, the U.S. carriers have actually done almost all of their deals and they're significant. They're paid significantly more than our oh. Canadian pilots, uh, between thirty-five and forty percent more than oh. what the Canadian airlines. We're different. We're a different beast. We're a different market. Um, but it doesn't take much for you know when you have teachers jumping provinces to to wherever yep. they get the best pay. Well, pilots can take- deadhead too. They can do that, and um, that's the only yeah. thing that's different. I had a friend of mine. He flew for the South Korean airline, and he flew like um, Seoul to Heathrow. Back and forth, 747s for years and years and years, and he lived in Calgary, right? Right. I have a friend based in the, the lower mainland in BC, living in Hong Kong, and as a captain with Cathay Pacific. Yeah. Right? So, same thing, doing the big long hauls. My son has started his commercial pilot's license. I think it's a good move. Shane, what a smart I move. I mean, they're so desperate. There's such a demand. So if anyone, you know, has someone who's looking at getting a, into a good career, they will have an excellent career for the foreseeable future. That's for sure here in Canada. And uh, so, uh, Claire, uh, not only do you warn people about travel, you also talk about the great things. What are you excited about? Uh, caveat strike. But what are you excited about, about Canadians and summer travel? Well, you know, there's such a demand for travel and I love to see that. I love to see that the, you know, you know, 87% of people who were surveyed uh, not that long ago actually said that they absolutely, regardless of what um, was happening, that they would, they would try and get a vacation on the books. The reality though is inflation and fears about the direction of the economy are, are affecting it, putting a bit of a damper. So people are changing around. They're, you know, they're maybe staying a little closer to home. Nobody wants a staycation though, Shane. I mean, we did too much of that during COVID. Yeah. Um, but they might travel domestically within Canada because there's such good deals. So if there's parts of this con- gorgeous country they haven't seen, they might do that. Some people are going for a little bit less. So that say they were plan- planning to go for two weeks, they might go for nine, 10 days. Or if they normally go for a week, they might go for five days. Um, Europe is going to be hot. It's going to be expensive, um, but there's some really, really good deals. So what I am excited of are where I am starting to see some deals. So if you haven't thought of cruising, even Gen Z and millennials are looking at cruising because there's some unreal deals. Like just you, if you can get yourself cheaply to BC, round trip Vancouver, we're seeing uh, seven night Alaska cruises starting at four ninety nine plus taxes. You can barely get a night in Vancouver for 400 bucks during this time period, like right through until the end of October. Um, I even saw one that was doing uh, Italy and Greece. It was a seven-nighter, and the itinerary is stunning, under 700 bucks plus tax um, for a week doing that. So you look to a cruise in an area that you want to go to. We're starting to see that, and also bundles. So the likes of a WestJet vacations or an Air Canada vacations where they're bundling the air and hotel and maybe trains and things like that, even for summer, we're seeing availability to unbelievable destinations in Greece, Italy, you know, Ireland, all the hot spots that people are wanting. So if you thought it was too late and it was going to be way too expensive, look to the bundles because they're there and there's some really good deals. I know by hotspot you mean popular, but no one's ever really called Ireland a hotspot before. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. You know, the wind and the rain. But, Jesus, so beautiful. I'm actually going. I'm actually taking my parents uh, at the end of September, which is my favorite time of the year to head to Europe. Crowds yeah. are gone. Weather's still nice. good. 
But yeah, we're I, hoping I, to go in September, actually, middle of September to Ireland, too. Yep. Oh, amazing. See? Hot spot. I love it. <laughs> cool. Uh, Claire Newell is here. Travelbestbets.com. Thank you so much for helping us understand what's going on. Oh, thanks for having me, Shane. There we go. Um, we will get, I mean, we're going to break the news if anything changes. And I think Claire is kind of bang on when she says if it's going to happen at the last minute before this is done, it will be the last minute. We will be on the air on the Friday morning. So if the WestJet pilot strike does not happen, we will update you on it. In the meantime, for the next couple of days, your flights are normal. After that, to be determined. And that's where the conversation is going to start. You know, after Christmas and with so many people did not get their chance to be able to, you know, fly or weather cancellations and all these different things that people went through. My goodness. Um, the baggage things. Oh, boy. Um, a summer where travel gets interrupted again is going to be incredibly difficult. But maybe it's a bit of a gift that the pilots chose now because the pressure is going to be on to fix it up. Fascinating for you, and I hope that your summer vacation plans pan out. I have uh, my own that I've got my fingers and toes all of them crossed for that they're going to happen to. Thank you very much for listening to The Shift. I'm Shade Hewitt. If you go to shiftheads.ca, Radio Player Canada app is available for you to listen online on your phone anytime. This is The Shift Podcast. How much did you pay for your last phone? My, my son, he bought I, okay, let me go back. Two stories. Um, I took my laptop and I put it in my bag and I went to go see a friend with my daughter and then I grabbed my water bottle and I put it in my bag and then I got to my friend's place and my friend said, your bag is dripping. And I'm like, oh no. So what I didn't do was put the lid on my water bottle. My laptop was swimming like Nemo, happy, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Now, I don't keep anything critical on my machines. I backed things up, so that part was okay. It was just a very expensive mistake. Did not have AppleCare. AppleCare has changed, actually, over the course of time, because you used to buy it, then it was over, then it was done, but now you can rebuy it month to month, whatever. My son has a brand new, less than a year old, I think it was iPhone 13 Pro Max, like the big one. And uh, he bought it with his own money, did all the things, expensive, and he dropped it in an just an inconspicuous way. It just, it fell. And it, it just so happened that the rocket hit, the only rock that was there hit the camera. And when it broke the camera, they couldn't fix it. He had Apple care. So he did have to pay a little bit. He got a whole new phone for it. If that had not happened, my just turned 18 year old son would have been out a couple grand, basically. That's basically what it would have been. And they have some incentives to keep you as a customer where they give you a deal if you get the same phone. There's things like that. But the reality is he could not fix the camera. The reality is I could not take the logic board out of my laptop and replace that. That's where this conversation starts here. It's expensive. Maybe it gets cheaper. I don't know. Krista Hesse is here. She's with Global. She's one of the reporters on the new reality show, which you haven't checked out. Uh, just give it a search on the Global TV page. Fantastic show. Okay. You guys talked about this whole right to repair thing. We've seen it in Europe a little bit. Um, everything from consistent chargers to fix your devices. We heard the president of the United States talk about it a little bit and start to say that this integrated systems that we can't fix are a real problem. 
I find it incredibly hypocritical to say that we are care about climate change and we should be driving all these cool new cars that are efficient. But by the way, go have 17 devices you can't even fix. That's where I land on, Krista. You've done the show. You've done the episode. Um, before we get to what you learned from it, does anything that I shared there in my little pontification, does that sound offside to you? No, not at all. I mean, in fact, it's it's. I feel like everyone has a story like that. Mm-hmm. It's just so ubiquitous, this, this issue of, you know, we pay thousands of dollars for our devices. We rely on them for everything. And then as soon as one little thing, one little mistake, and all of a sudden it's like this huge headache to just rectify it. it you know, there's no longer can we just take our things into a store and, you know, leave it with a trusted repairman and come back a week later and it's fixed. It's, it's, it's just not that simple anymore. So that's really what the story's about. Yeah. The value of insurance uh, is, is such a big industry. That's where that comes into play here. Okay. So the show is the new reality for those who don't know the show. Let's talk about that, Krista, because you, you all, your team and all the folks there, uh, it's, it's a TV show, TV show. You guys run from, you know, the fall to the spring. And um, we're going to wrap up here soon. But the reality is, is that um, everyone can go to the on-demand and see the episodes and those kinds of things, too. So there is lots to be had there. Tell me about the new reality. Yeah, so it is a future-focused show. Um, our goal is to tell stories about innovation, um, you know, about climate change. We take on really big topics um, that are kind of facing society uh, and try to find solutions to them. So one of the things I love about our show is that we we don't want to leave people always feeling hopeless, uh, that we have these big insurmountable problems. Uh, we always have kind of a solutions angle to the show. So a lot of my reporting, like this story, focuses on, you know, movements, social movements that are people working to fix this stuff. And in this case, it's the right to repair movement. Um, but I've done tons of stories on other, you know, social movements. And just it's amazing to talk to people who are actively working to make our world better. I do a lot of climate change coverage. Uh, it always seeps into every story somehow. Uh, we, we do a lot of cool tech coverage. We've done things on, you know, drones uh, being the new frontier of delivering organs for transplants. Like, Man. where else are you going to watch shows like that? So yeah, it's, it's an amazing show. It's great. Do you have two quick questions then. Do you, have a, do you have a topic so far in the first few seasons here that really is your favorite that you've touched? Ooh, that's tough. Um, I'm thinking about this way. Okay, so we're hanging out. We go to a party. Yeah. And, you know, like, oh, hi, Krista. What do you do? You know, and then, then kind of like that. It's that first story that comes to mind. You know, the coolest story we ever did was. What yeah. Was so so I did a story this season um, about peatlands. And it's an ecosystem that's probably one of the most important ecosystems uh, for us to know about. And we have a ton of peatlands in Canada. Nobody knows about this ecosystem like bogs and all it's, that stuff yeah it, they're it's like a swamp it's wetlands oh, like muskeg muskeg exactly nice. wow. so people from the north probably know about this I stuff but everybody yeah. yeah so but everybody south you know a lot of people don't know that this exists and often it's yeah in the north part of the country you know most of the time it's yeah either smaller communities or first nations that live up there um so they're really well acquainted with 
this ecosystem, but a lot mm. of us aren't. And I learned so much about it. Um, they capture carbon better than forests. You know, they're, they're like the powerhouse combating climate change. And uh, we have these incredible ecosystems across Canada. I got the chance to fly to the far north of Ontario to see them in person, which is a very unique experience that not many people get to do and meet the the First Nations people that are the kind of the stewards of the land. And I was up there because there's a lot of mining interest going on um, in northern Ontario right now. Yeah. Um, so it's a big conversation <laughs> around these yeah. these you know, uh, basically climate friendly ecosystems and then people wanting to uh, mine minerals for climate technology, climate wow, that's technology. The, welcome so to the crossroads. Exactly. Right? Um, all yeah. these people who think that this is the these are the magic bullets. Um, there, There's always a balance, right? There's always a dance. And the dance is, is northern Ontario, cobalt and all those. They are there's there's going to be a price to pay for it. So that's interesting. Fascinating conversation too. Uh, bog people know about bogs usually because you get stuck in one. That's usually yep. what happens. You learn a lot about them when you're stuck. <laughs> I did get stuck. My camera guy got stuck. We all got stuck over the course of the week of reporting out there. Um, there, we, there was some good blooper footage <laughs> after yeah, that trip. That's so great. I love it. Uh, Krista Hesse is with the new reality show on Global. Okay, so let's talk about this right to repair thing. What's the biggest takeaway that you have on this um, right to repair thing? Let's start with because I'm assuming you learned a ton about right to repair and repairing devices. I'm sure you've been in the same story as me about looking at the cost of a phone and going, oh, no. Right. And then so I'm sure you have all of those. What's your biggest takeaway? Let's do it backwards from the new reality episode on this right to repair stuff. Yeah, I mean, I came in with the general knowledge that I think a lot of Canadians also have. That is, we 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 can see that the repair kind of ecosystem has been dwindling, right? Like independent repair shops are closing. There's just fewer and fewer. Um, everybody knows it's kind of hard to fix your stuff these days. Well, I saw a repair shop the other day and I was like, that's still open? Like yeah. I, it, it actually surprised me. And so everyone has that kind of knowledge. But I think what really surprised me was the reasons behind that, um, the the very kind of concerted efforts that companies take to, as one expert told me, strangle the repair ecosystem. Um, you know, it's it's just undeniable at this point that it is, you know, basically a for-profit uh, driven by profits for these companies and against consumers' um, choice and it costs us a lot of money. And the other thing that really shocked me coming out of this was the waste side of things. Like, obviously, we all know about e-waste. We've seen the photos of old tech piling up. But what I didn't realize is that really most of the waste, like nine, we're talking 80, 90 percent of the waste all happens before your electronic you know, gets to the retailer store. Like it's, it's all happening in the manufacturing phase that we don't see. It's this very invisible thing that happens in far off countries. And, you know, there are just massive environmental, uh, you know, consequences to us throwing out our phones or not being able to repair our stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause we just make more of it. So the cost is there. Um, yeah, I mean, those are those are my words. I find it incredibly hypocritical for people to, it, you know, it's like people who they talk about climate and change and environment and all these things, which I think, yes, we absolutely are reckless and need to be more responsible. But then you don't get to go move into the brand new all glass 
a tower downtown that's lit up by all these pretty LED lights. And you're like, look how pretty my home is. And you're kind of like, well, you're sort of an environmentalist. Like, you need to think about this. So, I mean, these kinds of conversations are important. And when you see this right to repair those things, as opposed to toss them away, it, it must absolutely matter. I mean, we've seen, I don't know, have we seen, did you discover in Canada any um, government work that's being done to create some standards around this? Um, you know, in business, being able to keep a part supply chain open is very expensive. It's a lot of overhead. You've got to pre-produce the parts. Um, they've got to be stored somewhere, uh, all of that stuff. So if it was just as simple as Amazon shipping them out, no problem. It's not. They've got to sit somewhere. So have you seen any, because the government doesn't want the waste, but at the same time, they must, again, they're turning almost hypocritical with, with their preaching about let's be more environmental while they're not doing anything to create standards on this. Yeah. So the first real kind of look at right to repair from the federal side um, came with this year's budget. Um, so there was actually a section in the budget under kind of the affordability section that said the government is going to create a framework to implement the right to repair. We don't really know what that's going to look like because it was, you know, basically a couple sentences. Um, they're going to start consultations this summer on that. So how that'll come to be, whether they'll, it'll look more like what's happening in Europe or whether it's going to look more like what's happening in the States, we, we don't really know. Um, but we do know that from the text of the budget that the government really wants to make this obviously more affordable for Canadians and is going to hopefully have legislation that will follow something like what happened in New York, where they just passed their own right to repair bill um, that basically will force companies to publish information for everybody, parts uh, for all of their things. And so that was a really big win for the right to repair movement. And we could see legislation like that in Canada. It hasn't happened yet. We'll, we'll have to kind of wait and see. But there is a bill uh, right now before Parliament that is considered basically the first step in the government's right to repair agenda, and that's Bill uh, C-244. Uh, it's a little technical, but it basically uh, means it's dealing with copyright instead of the actual physical like parts information side of things. Um, so a lot of times all of our stuff has software in it. Everything is a computer now. And What's happening is tech companies use copyright to restrict repair um, by enforcing these kind of software locks or digital locks, as they're often called. And this legislation will hopefully, if it gets passed, make it so that repair uh, technicians can go around those locks, because currently it's illegal for, for people to do that right now. Yeah, and it also doesn't allow third parties to make parts that fit, which is another thing, too. So we've seen that, though, with cords. Uh what I'm taking away from this episode is, I mean, you kind of start with a thread. You pull the thread of this and you realize, like, it's a monster of a topic. Like, it really is quite endless. Because the same things you're talking about, and I don't know if you guys got to it in the episode or not, um, but his cords, dongles, charging cords, all of that stuff, again, very similar. They they put the, the software inside the charging cords. They say this because cord's not compatible, so a third party can't make it. So you have to buy the proprietary stuff or at least the licensed stuff. But at the same time, now you have seven or eight different cords for one device. That doesn't seem very efficient. Similar topic to right to repair. Did you get into that stuff too? or did you, I'm sure you had to have a boundary where you were like, okay, we need to stop or this is now a four-hour show. 
Yeah. And I only ended up getting about seven and a half minutes. So we had to, we had to kind of cap it, um, and, and stick to kind of the, the three main ones, which was like information parts and, and the software issue. Um, but the government is also looking at that. That was also mentioned in the, in the, in the budget this year as well, um, that they want to follow Europe's lead and, and, and look at creating a universal port for everything, probably mm-hmm. some kind of USB-C. Yeah. That should be nice. Um, for everyone else to watch the show, the new reality, what um, what's the biggest takeaway that you have from this particular topic, right to repair, that m- seems to be the the real heater of a topic that that matters most? Is it glass screens? Is it the you know pieces of the device? What is the the, the hot one that you took away? I mean, I think, hmm, yeah, I think that. One of the things that I I really took away from this um, was that, you know, our products just need to be designed in a way that um, it makes them last longer. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of a shift in the tech world acknowledging that. And that's based on consumer demand. Um, like one expert I talked to said it's absolutely, you know, ludicrous that, you know, the thing that we have in our take in and out of our pockets all day long. Our phones are encased in glass. Uh, you know, th- that makes no sense. So that that type of design um, decisions, uh, you know, looking at how can we make our, our, our things last longer, it really starts at the design phase. You know, the fact that Apple, for example, always not to pick on Apple, but they use proprietary screws. Um, so like if you or I wanted to get into our phone and just open it up and take a look inside, we wouldn't be able to do that without special tools. Um, and, and all these either. fancy devices to, cause it's all glued down as well. So glue is yeah. the other issue. It's like, we're all, we're gluing, we're sealing everything in and the right to repair really their, their whole message is if you own it, if you bought it, you should be able to, to, to fix it, to open it up, take it apart, you know, do what you well, they didn't do. used to use proprietary screws, too. I mean, some of these things are new. I shared the story about, I remember it was a Volkswagen Golf. It was the end of the 90s, early 2000s. And there was a time when they came out with a new car, and you had to have the special tool to change a headlight. And they claimed that they had the mechanics claim that, well, you have to use our tool. And then that eventually changed because people weren't very happy about having to go pay dealership rates on a, on a tool to change a headlight. Right. And so things do change. We, it really is important to, um, for people to speak up about those things. I, I think, um, because th- this is what sort of comes of it. Krista Hesse here, uh, on the shift from the new reality show. I know you can't tell us what's coming up and what things look like for next season and all that stuff. What are you most excited about though, that you can kind of share, whether that's for your work or the team's work or the show in general, what, what really gets you excited? Ah, oh, what gets me excited? I, I mean, we just, we have a team of producers and reporters on the show that they just always come up with ideas that surprise me. Um, we take on some really kind of fun topics. Um, my next story is actually looking into, uh, uh, neighborhood land trusts. I don't know if you've heard of those before, no. but it's basically this this kind of community-led uh, movement where they're trying to kind of take back control of their housing by uh, buying up housing in the community, and then it's under community ownership. And I, I've just recently learned about this, and it's exploding across Canada. And so that's going to be my my next story, and I'm really excited for that one. Oh. 
That's interesting. That's fascinating because that's going to dip into all kinds of different scenarios, probably even some political ideologies, one might say, a little bit about where it's all headed, but yet accessibility. Yeah. Right. Oh, fascinating. And who doesn't love a housing crisis story? <laughs> right. And we all need a place to live. Uh, so it affects everybody. Really cool stuff. Yeah. Krista, thanks so much for being here. Um, I appreciate it. I'm excited to see what continues for the new reality show. And everyone, just go to Global TV. You can link to it there. Give it a search. Give it a Google. Just search the new reality global and you'll find it. And watch some of the old episodes, too, because you can get caught up, which is awesome, because that's the Internet today. Speaking of which, um, that part you don't have to fix. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here, buddy. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show, and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 